Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score, the home for Bears fans. Two games to get the record, if that matters to you. I don't know if it does matter to people. I think more people are out there this year in the context of the conversations that I get or become engaged in and social media and, and elsewhere, I think more people would be likely to say they want to see Justin Fields sit it out the last two games and protect himself from further injury. Like I said after the game, he's good to go, he's healthy, he's ready to go for this week. No consideration of just shutting him down because of all the... Absolutely not. And to me, these next two games are just about that being able to execute in those game-defining moments, those plays that matter, and getting it done. And to me, that's that's important going going forward to the future. I don't want to overstate the psychological impact of them of them losing these games. I don't think it's you know something super dramatic, but I do think there's a, a ton of benefit of a team that's trying to go on a journey towards sustained success of having success and, and understanding how to build on success and learning, as Mandy Berflew said on Monday, how to execute in game-defining moments. That's what decides good teams from bad teams in this league. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. They have to become winners. On 670 The Score. And the last thing, the most important piece, is we're going to take the North and never give it back. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Good Friday morning, the last show. Of 2022, David Haw, Mully is off today. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune and the Take the North podcast. My partner on the pod is in on this Friday morning. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Long time no talk. <laughs> exactly. At least uh, a day. <laughs> I don't even know if it has been 24 hours. I don't think so. Not we have a close. pod that drops later today at 8 o'clock, by the way. But, um, boy, it's a good thing you're here today. I mean, it's just generally nice to see you. It's always nice to talk to you, but we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the Bears because there's a lot going on this week. You wouldn't think yeah. in a lost season where they're going to be historically bad and set a record for futility that there would be this much to discuss, but there is. This is Chicago, and these are the Bears. Yeah, listen, like we went through an hour-long podcast yesterday and probably could have done three hours with all the topics we had lined up and had to figure out what was more important, what we wanted to get to this week, what we could save for next week. My other question this morning is, what time does the sun come up? (laughs) (laughs) It's very dark here on the ninth floor of the Prudential Center. Yes, good question, Dan. That was the question that I I pondered for the – it took me a while before transitioning from being the sports writer who's going to bed (laughs) after the clock strikes midnight, beating deadline, and then getting up at the hour that we have to get up. But I don't really know. Okay. All right. I was telling Sean uh, when I got here that the, the, the harder part than, than waking up for the 340 alarm that I set this morning was waking up in the middle of the night and thinking that I had slept past the 340 alarm yes. that I set two or three times just in a, a sheer panic. What time is it? There, oh, it's 1.15. I can get two more hours of sleep. There's no doubt about that. That, that is the harder. That's harder than getting up because getting up, you can plow through it. But actually getting yourself to find that sweet spot between relaxing enough to go to bed <laughs> Without having the anxiety that you're going to sleep through the alarm yeah. or the three that you have set, it's one of those things that I don't know how you get used to it, but I am not yet used to it. My wife gets mad at me because the only things that I will wake up really, really early for before sunrise are doing uh, radio right here in this studio and uh, going to play golf in the summer. When I, <laughs> 6, 6, 15 a.m. tea time is the best thing in the world. Well, I know that you're going to keep it in the fairway this morning. Uh, and <laughs> nah, I don't have know about that. Errant shots, that's okay, too, because that happens uh, between 5.30 and 10 every morning. Uh, we have a lot to get to. We have a, a great show ahead. We're going to have Biggs time, as usual, at 7 o'clock. Our guy from the Trib. We have Joe Fortenbaugh, as we do every Friday morning at 7.40. So get out your pencils and get those ready. And Jeff Joniak, the voice of the Bears. Very Bears-heavy Friday, uh, the last one in December of 2022. We have the Lions game on Sunday, Dan. But the big news on yeah. Thursday was the report from Pete Thamel from ESPN that Kevin Warren has emerged as a leading candidate to become the next president of the Bears. We know he's interviewed. We're going to spend this show kind of breaking that down and looking at some of those things, but that was the big news on Thursday that Kevin Warren and the Bears have spoken at least two times about the job. Yeah, leading candidate is probably a a better way to phrase it than a person of interest. (laughs) He's one of uh, the, the, the folks that they've narrowed this down to. 
Um, this is a big, big hire. And and I think it's kind of gotten lost here in the season that's been that the Bears behind the scenes have have some very serious decisions to make. They're obviously going through the search process with the help of Nolan Partners. And George McCaskey, with the help of Ted Phillips, has to find someone that can come into that team president role and be dynamic, that that can help them set a new course for where they're going with this franchise. As you know, Kevin Warren, with with extensive history in the NFL and during his time in Minnesota, was instrumental in that organization's pursuit of a new stadium, a, a, an absolute gem. I know you you like it as much as I do up there in Minneapolis, that U.S. Bank Stadium. And so you've got a guy with, with credentials, you've got a guy with some qualifications, and now there's just a, a lot of questions on, on who are some of the other top candidates and, and what exactly are the Bears prioritizing. As a total aside, how important do you think that the team president role is on your typical NFL team. We we do magnify it, I think, in Chicago because Ted Phillips has been so polarizing. He has been the guy that is uh, is the link to the 85-era Bears because of when he arrived in town, but he certainly has put himself in the spotlight, intentionally or not, by being not the football guy right. who's involved in football decisions and there's all that controversy and conversation but I wonder if that's a Chicago thing. I wonder if you look around the league, if the team president role and replacing an executive, essentially, who is not a football guy, gets as much run or as much attention as it does here in this football city. Probably not. But along with that, what I would say is that role, when done at its best, provides a level of steadiness and stability that helps create and stimulate success, right? And so that's what you're looking for when you're trying to go out and and identify catalysts, the Bears have not been good on a consistent basis for 30-plus years. I don't think you can shrug past that, as they so often do. When you haven't had three consecutive winning seasons since the late 80s, since I was in grade school, you have to take a long, hard look at, at, at how you do things, what decisions you make, what some of your organizational philosophies are, and that position, David, for the longest time has been, you know, and one of the criticisms that Ted takes is that when you are overseeing the hiring of the general managers that you bring in to run your football team, it would be nice to have standards. It would be nice to have someone, <laughs> yeah. honestly, yeah. That, 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 that puts a little bit of a, a fire in the building to go out and, and make sure that every single day is being approached by every department in your building with urgency. With, with with you know an, an elevated uh, focus on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so that's why I think this particular job at this particular time is so important. And I think that Kevin Warren, by that definition, is an easy candidate to understand. And we'll get into some of the details later and some of the reports and, and information we have to share. But I think that when you look at his reputation, it is, number one, he's been a successful sports executive yeah and he has worked his way from the lions to the rams to the vikings and now as the commissioner of the big 10 he has made an impact at every stop along the way and certainly as the commissioner of the big 10 which he a job he has just had for it'll be three years i believe in january he has made a big impact in a short amount of time now that said the way you describe the bears president role is interesting because of what they need and I do think they need an overall elevated set of standards at House Hall. And I think anybody paying attention would, would agree with that and understand that. But Kevin Warren would provide that. No doubt about it to me. Because the one thing about Kevin Warren that you talk to people that is consistent is that he cares very little, I think, about being popular right. in the workplace. Right. And we know from Ted Phillips' experience that popularity is not a prerequisite <laughs> to be the team president of the Chicago Bears. That's a good fit from that standpoint. Now, there's other factors that may contribute, but as far as going in and uh, affecting change and leading from the front without worrying about ruffling some feathers, this, to me, would m- make a lot of sense from the Bears' perspective. No question. And, and, and this continued pursuit of what you are trying to get done in Arlington Heights is – Absolutely monumental and landmark at this time in the in the Bears' history. I talked with somebody in the league yesterday who said, listen, people who apply for these types of jobs never do it with a sense that, oh, I might fail in that job, right? It, it's, it's what would happen if I succeed? 
And when you think about being a potential team president for the Chicago Bears at a time where they have the chance to go open a, a absolute, uh, you know, historic, beautiful new stadium in the next half decade or so, at a time when the city and its excitement for its young quarterback has never been higher, and you start to have those grand visions of what would it be like on a Super Bowl Sunday for this organization to be playing in it. And, and, and like, I get goosebumps right now just thinking about what it would be like in this town to, to be part of a run like that and then to be one of the guys that could say, those are my fingerprints. I think that might be the, the thermostat. <laughs> Molly keeps it kind of cold in here. I mean, listen. That, that, pe- my, I don't think that's Bears related. Pe- I, I think pe- it's the thermostat. People who know me know, know how you know, rare it is for me to have daydreams. I know. About, I'm saying, uh, what is this ha- what's happening here? But, 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 but when you consider <laughs> the things I just mentioned and, and the appeal, Whoa. right? The appeal of this job and what it would mean yeah. if, you, if you were able to, to hit the home run after taking this job, you understand why it provides an energy rush for candidates, yep. why it provides a, a level of, of intrigue to Kevin Warren. And now it's all about, you know, over the next month or so, as, as we get more information uh, from inside the organization and outside the organization, what is it exactly uh, that they are looking for and, and how does the, the, the person they ultimately choose fit into the vision? 541 December 30th, <laughs> Dan Weeder over his skis about the Bears. I'm bringing that back on the podcast because people won't believe it. Um, but I, yeah, good point. Next thing you know, you'll be writing about somebody's the best ever at their position with the Bears on this Uh-oh. current team. But no, we'll go. We digress. <laughs> I, all, all fair points, and I think the opportunity speaks for itself. I am not surprised that Kevin Warren would be on the Bears list. I would be mildly surprised, again, given whatever values, whatever you value more, the college game, the NFL, I understand, but I would be more surprised that Kevin Warren would want this job based on how well he's done his job as a commissioner of the Big Ten from the outside. There are a lot of politics that go involved. There are a lot of relationships that we don't know about. There are a lot of things that would factor into overall job satisfaction. But when you look at just the bullet points on the resume, negotiated a $7 billion contract for the Big Ten. Welcomed USC and UCLA to the to the uh, to the league in the conference in a way that opened up the Western Corridor to the Big Ten. Uh, oversaw a very controversial virtual yeah. phase of canceling football, reinstating it in 2020, and then presiding over that. And oh, by the way, Dan, on Saturday the college football playoff will include two Big Ten teams for the first time. Yeah, that's a conference that is thriving. Yeah. So his role as president of that conference or commissioner, excuse me, of the Big Ten has been wildly successful by any definition. No question. I had someone tell me yesterday that obviously the the, the media rights deal, which was pretty landmark, I think that was earlier this summer that that became official, mm-hmm. uh, was one that, that this was speculation, but it was a thought process that, that Kevin's obviously going to see some bonuses from being able to negotiate that and that he's a smart enough person to uh, make sure that the the structure of those bonuses is not reliant on him having to stay as the commissioner of the conference until, until that seven year media rights deal is up. And so you see that and you say, okay, there's some things there. You brought up another word that I think is important and it's politics. And it's, it's just from the standpoint of when you're in that role as a commissioner of of one of these massive conferences and one of these massive conferences that's expanding You've got a lot of people who want things from you. You've got a lot of different athletic directors and a lot of different coaches with high-profile uh, gigs and, and and giant egos and large expectations that are knocking on your door day after day after day. And there is a drain to that. And so the question of, of, of why would Kevin Warren want to leave this job, I think that's one of the, if you're making the pros and cons list of staying as Big Ten commissioner, that's one of those bullet points that would show up in the right column. And, and you would say, okay, how much longer do I want to do this? Uh, Kevin's also been a guy that that when you talk to people around the league, he he is an NFL guy. You know, his ambition is transparent. Yeah, he wants to be the. Well, I don't know that he still wants this. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but there is a perception that he one day would like to be the NFL commissioner. Right, and that's the job that he really wants. You and I have both heard that from varying circles, different right. circles, and so so that that is certainly something that 
uh, has been out there. It's, it's been a buzz. And, and and so, you know, this could be a pathway. Now, that brings up a question to the Bears. If you're interviewing a candidate like this, do you have the foresight to say, how long do you want to stay here? You know, what are your grand ambitions? Do you want to retire here like Ted did? Or do you want to do other things beyond this? And then you have to make decisions on on what that means for your future. That might be asking for too much, frankly. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know what I want if I'm looking for the next president is not necessarily a lifetime commitment, it's somebody that I know is going to navigate the very complicated waters that the move to Arlington Heights would represent. No doubt. And if you can do that, and then, by the way, there might be some other factors that get very complicated real fast in terms of ownership. So I want to be able to have confidence that this is somebody that can lead us through that and then worry about whether or not he wants to stay forever and then go from there. Here's what I also want to see. I look forward to this. Dan Wiederer's deep dive. <laughs> and if you don't take it, I might. All right. All right. So I, I'm going to dare you because if you maybe don't write this. Maybe it can this, be a take the North deep dive. But maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if you don't write this, I'm going to. If this happens. In 2020, Kevin Warren was a commissioner of the Big Ten yeah. when he canceled football in August. Temporarily. Because, because no, at the time, it didn't feel very <laughs> right, temporary. No doubt, no doubt. When they had that press conference in August of 2020 and they had the release during during the pandemic, there was a sense that football was dead yeah. until the spring of 2021. Uh, over in Columbus, a young quarterback <laughs> with with leadership qualities named Justin Fields led a player revolt. And I don't know if that's too strong, but it seemed like a player revolt and got 300,000 signatures on a petition to challenge the premise that football was canceled in the Big Ten. 30 days later, I think it was 36 days later, because of that momentum, because of a lot of things Justin Fields and his parents and the parents of the Ohio State team and other t- other parents in the Big Ten, the Kevin Warren and the commissioner uh, and that that body in the in the conference relented. Football was re- reinstalled. It wasn't cause effect. It's never that simple. Other factors became obvious, but they played in 2020, and thank goodness they did for the direction of Justin Fields' career. So now. The commissioner he opposed is within weeks of becoming Justin Fields' new boss, essentially. Justin Fields played eight games in 2020. That wasn't the normal 14, so you could maybe blame Kevin Warren for a six-game delay on Justin Fields' development. <laughs> let's do that. Let's, before he takes the job, let's already, let's already point the finger at him. He could be six games further ahead in his development as a passer. He's if not he, a football guy, if though. He had, if, he had, if he had that chance. Um, that's good irony, though. That's kind of fun. That's a good story. I, it, certainly, it would be. It would certainly be a, an interesting photo op when when Justin met Kevin inside of Hallis Hall, maybe out by the, the the George Hallis statue out in front there at 1920 that would Football be good. Drive in Lake Forest. Um, look, this is going to be interesting, and 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 you know we talked about this uh, on on Thursday on the podcast about about some of the things that that George McCaskey stated in the fall that he was looking for in the team president role. He listed leadership, vision, humility, humility, and consensus building as things he's prioritizing. It's going to be really, really, really interesting once they have a hire made to kind of just hear the vision expressed. It's always interesting when the people at the top of this organization tell you what they were thinking and how they came to a decision. It isn't always encouraging, but it's always interesting. Sean and Charlotte text in already. It would be so bears to finally get the franchise quarterback and then bring in a top dog with a beef with quarterback one, with QB one. <laughs> well, so this is a riddle that uh, there's a few riddles. We're going to have a riddle riddle podcast on Take the North here in the offseason because we're going to have a lot to get to. But one of the riddles that's out there is how many, if any, games will Justin Fields start in the new stadium in Arlington Heights? What do you think? You think he gets there? You think he's their starting quarterback when that when that palace opens? I don't. I can't even believe you're asking the question, Dan. Justin Fields must be the quarterback when they open in Arlington Heights because Arlington Heights could happen within the next five years. Yeah, and I, if like, Justin Fields is not the quarterback of the Bears in five years, you know how many lives you have just ruined over the weekend? You know how many New Year's parties you have just just br- brought to a screeching halt? They can't ponder that possibility. No, in all seriousness, yes, I do think he will be the quarterback when the Bears open in Arlington Heights. That would be his seventh season Yeah, with the team. And I think that's realistic if if he continues the trajectory of his career, providing he stays healthy. Are you doubting that? Um, I, I'm not doubting the health component of it. I, I'm just saying that that 
my experience in this league is that that remaining a successful quarterback for a sustained period of time is super difficult. And you go through the list of guys picked in the top twenty that do it. You know that that are that are starting in their seventh season with their organization, not necessarily somewhere else, or or, or, or you know in a backup role or or whatever it may be. It's a small percentage, and so I, it, it, I guess it's just my way of saying that, that this climb is pretty steep, and it, it's just going to be a fascinating period. Well, I agree the, with that in the history of I the Bears because you're overseeing the development of a guy who has a chance to be a superstar. You're 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 overseeing the pursuit of a new stadium in the suburbs, which could be an awesome place to go watch football. You know, I you know I agree with that, and and I don't I'm not going to no I know I prematurely got, anoint Justin Fields anything except for this this quarterback who has seize the opportunity in front of him this season. Yeah. But there's a lot more that you expect moving forward. And if you had to ask me today, I would say that he would be the starting quarterback whenever they they uh, open up that new dome stadium that's going to be a thing of beauty out in Arlington Heights, and I am just imagining that, not that I'm counting on that. Uh, I'm counting on it. I'm counting on okay. it. Okay. Um, one other little footnote just on the team president's mm-hmm. end of things. that When George McCaskey – talks about the the searches they went through last winter to find the the GM and and coach and the ability to do Zoom interviews with 25 candidates last January. He talks about having his eyes opened to the way other organizations do things and and how that can be beneficial when you're then going to try to to put together a a candidate list and a and a and a search for a guy to run your organization. It's going to be really interesting to see how that informed their decision and, and guided their decision, if at all. I knew there had to be a reason they interviewed 28 guys. <laughs> 25. Okay, 25. 25. Well, there's three guys. What's that amongst friends? All right, we've got a lot to get to. We've got to talk Bulls at some point during the pick six. There's a question about the Bulls. They will bow, come back from their historically uh, important, I guess, they made history of the good kind in beating the Bucks the other night. At the United Center, they're back there tonight to play the Pistons pregame here on the score at 645. There's a couple White Sox and Cub notes I want to ask you about or at least mention before, uh, or maybe we'll have to wait until uh, inside the clubhouse Saturday mornings, 9 to 11, 51 <laughs> weeks a year with Bruce Levine. I which can't say 52 like the promo says because last week I had the pregame show, so we couldn't do that. But anyway, there's some baseball things to discuss. The college football playoff, as we've been talking about, Tomorrow we're going to get to that because there's some things to watch if you're a Bears fan, and even if you're not, if you're just a college football fan. There's so much to get to, and we will start that with the pick six when we come back. Dan Weeder is in for Mully. It's the Mully and Haw Show, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's pick six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. All right, guys. How valuable is a candidate for the Chicago Bears president job it's the Big Ten, excuse me, how viable of a candidate is Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren for the Bears job? And how do you think it matters? How much do you think it matters whether the Bears will pick Warren or whether Warren would pick the Bears? How soon could this happen? Thank you, Sean Sears. And yeah, Dan Weeder in for Mully today. Good question. That is the question we will continue to address until 10 o'clock because there's a lot to get to. I think Kevin Warren, without knowing everyone on the list of finalists and knowing just a couple who might be there, we have identified Scott Hagel, who would be a guy who has been a longtime uh, member of the Bears organization. My sense is he is on that list. Colin Faulkner, a Cubs executive, was identified by The Athletic as being somebody on that list. Kevin Warren, based on his background, has to be considered the front runner. Without knowing anybody else on that list for sure, I think you would have to have some great credentials and uh, immense experience to have to be more qualified than Kevin Warren appears to be. Now, I asked this question during our intro, and we'll we'll continue to ask it. I don't know if the Bears makes as much sense for Kevin Warren as Kevin Warren makes sense for the Bears. And there are a lot of factors that are contributed to that, to, to making me ask that. And it starts with money. We know this. We know that Kevin Warren, based on USA Today's report, was making $4.5 million, I believe, in his first year on the job as the NFL, as the Big Ten commissioner. I sense that that has gone up. Yes. And welcoming USC and UCLA to the mix can only make him 
more attractive and make him make more money. I don't know if the Bears feel like they're in a position or they're in an organization that we look at and think, oh boy, they're going to pay their team president more than they pay their football coach. I don't know if the Bears can afford Kevin Warren. Through back channels, I was told he's north of $5 million per year in the salary he's making from the Big Ten. Obviously, revenue streams are opening left and right for them. Viable candidate for sure. We talked about the 20 years in the NFL, 14 of them with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Sean asked for a a date or a a timeline for how, how soon this could get done. Ted Phillips set a flexible end date of February 28th. I think that's what he wants to to have as his last day as the team president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. And so now you have this period now of a little less than two months to to find someone that can replace him. This could happen in the next three or four weeks. I don't know where the Bears are in their process. They've been very, uh, you know, secretive, I guess, to, to some extent on, on what they're doing, who they're interviewing and how quickly they want to get this done. Uh, but this is an attractive candidate. With a lot of layers, and not only did he oversee the U.S. Bank Stadium, you know the construction of that, but he helped the Vikings build the Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, which is the new beautiful practice facility in Egan, Minnesota. And so those are those are experiences that would directly translate to this job. We'll see which direction this heads. Obviously, a cool development this week to see that the Bears are moving in a direction, and now we have some names attached. Pick six. Given the latest injury information for the Bears, with wide receivers in question and Tevin Jenkins returning to practice, Chase Claypool a possibility, how healthy or unhealthy is this Bears offense? And how much of that recovery time might be affected by the chance to play the NFL's most generous defense in the lines? Well, I know if I were Chase Claypool, I'd want to get on the field now. And I think he does, and it was good to hear from him on Thursday, Dan. Uh, when you look at the injury report, you have to be a little encouraged. I, I'm glad Tevin Jenkins talked about his scare. I, I like the idea of him finishing with the arrow pointing up to his season. This has been a season nobody really expected from Tevin Jenkins based on what we were saying about him when they reported the training camp. I think it's important to see Chase Claypool do something, have a positive to end with. There are reasons, as we heard from Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus, there are reasons why Sunday still matters uh, even though it won't have any effect on much other anything else except for draft order or where you are in terms of a historical comparison to other awful teams in Bears history. So Chase Claypool, Tevin Jenkins, these kind of guys finishing strong are important. And the injury list, the one thing that you didn't want to see is Dante Pettis appear on there with a bad foot. But I think the possible return of Equinemius St. Brown kind of balances that out. But the receiving core is is banged up, and we knew that going in anyway. To that point, David, one of the most underrated blows that this Bears team has taken in the 2022 season was losing Darnell Mooney while blocking on a running play in a game in New York that Trevor Simeon was starting. It hurts his development. It hurts Justin Fields' development. It hurts the development of the Bears' passing game. This week, as you mentioned, you've got this revolving door at receiver. You get Chase Claypool potentially back. You get Equinemius St. Brown to clear concussion protocol. And then Dante Pettis hurts his ankle in practice on Wednesday and is doubtful to play on Sunday against the Lions. And so now you, you, you are incomplete once again at a position group that you need to see this offense go to the next level. They are fairly healthy overall, and the biggest point here is they're playing a Lions defense that's terrible, that gives up more yards than anyone in the league, that's bad on third down, that doesn't do very well in the red zone, and that you can exploit. And by the way, it's the last time uh, that you scored 30 points in a game was against these very Lions last month. And so let's see where the Bears can take this. It's a big opportunity in my opinion, for Justin and the offense to build momentum. This is Jamal Adams with a block and a pick six. What is your prediction for Sunday's game? And generally speaking, I am talking to the uh, two hosts of the Take North podcast here. What do you guys think you'll be talking about Sunday uh, if it pertains to Justin Fields' performance? Well, thank you for that shameless plug, Sean Sears. (laughs) Take the North podcast drops later this morning, 8 o'clock. And we have already made our predictions, but we will repeat them now. I don't think the Bears are going to win again. So I want to stick with that. And they will score some points at Ford Field in Detroit. They will do that against one of the most generous defenses in the NFL. And I think Justin Fields will have a game where he'll have some flash plays. Of course, this is the Lions. What Bears quarterback hasn't in recent memory looked forward to playing the Lions. This was how Mitch Trubisky... Bought himself extra time in Chicago by playing the Lions as often and playing as well against them as he did. So, offense moves the ball and the chains, gets in the end zone. I think Cole Komet um, will have 
a pretty good day. David Montgomery perhaps will have a good day. Justin Fields will have a couple uh, highlight reel uh, plays. 31-28, though, Lions, because I don't think the Bears' defense can stop anybody. And Dan Campbell will bring in a team on Sunday that's motivated and thinking playoffs. And, yeah, they're in Detroit on New Year's Day talking playoffs, so that tells you how far they have come. These aren't your same old Lions, David, and I think their wake-up call with that double-digit loss last week in Carolina is a bad thing for the Bears because they're going to be coming home to Ford Field. They're going to be motivated. They're going to understand that if they take care of their business, they're staring at a potential winning-in playoff showdown against the Packers at Lambeau Field in Week 18. Excuse me. What I hope that we're talking about on Sunday night as it relates to the Bears' offense is a few more highlight reel plays from Justin Fields against the defense that we just mentioned is vulnerable, but also – just that level of, of timing and comfort and rhythm that Justin has shown as the season's gone on, you want to see more of that. You want to see the continued growth. And I was really, really excited to hear Luke Getze talk on Thursday about the way he's encouraging Justin in this offense to embrace the experience of going into what he says is going to be a playoff atmosphere at Ford Field and understanding that this is all part of the growth process, is getting in as many different environments and as many different situations as you can and learning from each of them. So I hope we're talking a lot about that on Sunday night as well. It's a pick six. All right. The Las Vegas Raiders benched Derek Carr for the remaining two games of their season. Devontae Adams engineered a trade to the Raiders in large part because of Derek Carr. If the Raiders trade Carr as expected, what are the chances they entertain offers for Adams? And if they do, how aggressive should the Bears be, whether they're drafting one or two in this draft? Well, I mean, we are getting way, way, way <laughs> ahead of ourselves. But since um, this is what we do. This is fun, right? Let's dive in for a moment. Because... If Derek Carr is leaving Las Vegas, as they say, underrated movie, um, then I think that Devontae Adams reasonably might be next. I I don't know that he's unhappy. He spoke uh, to the media, I believe it was yesterday or Wednesday evening. He came and engineered his trade to the Las Vegas Raiders to play with his college quarterback and his friend, Derek Carr. If Derek Carr is disrespected to the point where he's benched and exiled for the final two games, if I'm Devontae Adams in this crazy world of the NFL, how do we know he's going to react positively to this and want to be a team guy and fulfill his contract? I don't. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. This is the NFL. Wide receivers are divas. I think Devontae Adams has every possibility that he's going to demand a trade or we don't know until until we know that he's not going to do that. He's going to be the consummate team guy and say, oh, hey, whoever you want, Josh McDaniels, to play quarterback, I'm all in. Uh, I wouldn't do that, would you? So if I'm the Bears and I'm possessing the number one or number two overall pick and I, I need a, a wide receiver one, a guy like Devontae Adams, even though he's 30, I might take that risk. I might buy into that idea and absolutely, I would make that phone call, Ryan Poles. You've got to. It's called due diligence. First of all, you mentioned leaving Las Vegas, and I think you've told me off the air that following the Bears sometimes makes you feel like Nick Cage in, in leaving yeah, Las Vegas. And yeah, so, I do. so I th- yeah. thanks for telling me that. Uh, I'm the wrong guy to ask on this question because I have a borderline infatuation with Devontae Adams. I was told years ago when he was a young receiver to pull up some of his, his video and watch him as a route runner, and I developed – a a next level appreciation for what this guy does to get open. Now, obviously he benefited for years of having a four-time MVP quarterback throwing him the football and helping his production. But this is a guy that in the last three years, two with Rodgers, one with Derek Carr, has had 41 touchdowns. If you're a passing offense that's as as incompetent and, and in need of weaponry as the Bears are, of course you explore the possibility of adding a guy who is established as an all-pro guy who can take the top off of defense at any moment and can also just get you the, the, the first downs, you know, third and three, just isolate Devontae and throw him the football. Uh, yeah, you explore this at any possible way. We're not really big into hypotheticals all the time, but this one's an entertaining one to explore, particularly given, as I said, my infatuation with who if DA is. You get, first of all, I'm a little concerned about the possibility of Devontae Adams joining a passing game that also includes Cole Komet, because I don't know which one you would gush over more. Adams. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> we found somebody. Then that is somebody. That, that is breaking news here on the score at 611. So what do you think, though, are the chances? Bears aside, if we can do that for a moment. You have seen this unfold before. I mean, it seems like A.J. Uh, uh, Brown with um, 
the Titans last year. I, I wonder if the chances of Devontae Adams leaving the Raiders outweigh the chances of him returning. I mean, it's fascinating given the scenario they're in. I don't know that anybody saw the possibility. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that Derek Carr was going to be their long-term answer at that position. But the idea that he would get benched and then leave the team tells you that there's some dysfunction within the organization that has to get sorted out and that they have to chart a new course. And that new course, who knows what that looks like. Uh, I don't see it as a, a, a high probability, but we'll see which direction it is. Texter says 6-3-0. How old is Devontae Adams? Do you think he's going to demand a lot of years in the big contract because he's at the end of his career? Good points. Great points. Yeah, he's, he's not getting any younger, but currently 30, right? How how much how long are you going to wait? Yeah, if you're you can't the Bears. Pick, you you can't ask for high level pass catchers for Justin Fields and then turn down one of the best in the game. And you you don't want Devontae Adams because you want to draft and develop a wide receiver because that's gone so well in the past. <laughs> Please, that is going to be a touchdown. The Jags are going to win it on a race. Sean Jenkins pick six. Are you kidding me? That was a good one. How did the big, how big was the Bulls fourth quarter comeback over the Bucks and the NBA's most punchable face in Grayson Allen? Could he be the game? It could be this, this be the game that changes the course of the Bulls season or have we seen this before? Well, we have seen this before and we have said this before and we have hoped this before. I don't know if this is the game because I think the Bulls are just as capable of going out against the Pistons tonight and hitting uh, four threes in 31 attempts and, and not playing a lick of defense because they have a carryover effect from how emotional Wednesday's victory was. That is who the Bulls have been this year. They have not earned the benefit of the doubt. They hopefully will close 2022 on a high note and beat the Pistons as they should because they're a better team. But they also lost to the Rockets on Monday, two days before the great comeback against the Bucks, and they were the better team. I loved watching that game on Wednesday night. Grayson Allen is a punk, <laughs> and that was just reaffirmed and deserves all the criticism he has received and we don't need to revisit that. The, it's, it's, it's not just Alex Caruso, gang. Alex Caruso didn't even play, so he wasn't there for Grayson Allen to injure. But Grayson Allen still found himself in the thick of it with DeMar DeRozan. He deserved everything that he got. And did that spark the Bulls? I think the Bulls came pretty motivated to play anyway. And did you see that the Bulls did something that hadn't happened in – it was it was a historic comeback, and it was one of these things that you just you don't see happen very often. You're going to have to get the stats. They were down um, 11 with 2.18 left in the game. And before that, according to ESPN, the teams previously were 5 and 12,535 before wow. the Bulls came back and became the sixth team in the past 20 seasons to win despite trailing by 11 with two minutes, two and a half minutes left in the game. Could be a spark. I like the way DeMar DeRozan sacrificed his body against Giannis. I like the, a lot of things that we saw happen. The big three has got to continue to be the big three, and Billy Donovan has to continue holding them accountable. We even saw the rookie, Jalen Terry. How about that? All energy and enthusiasm. Not so much many other things, but he was a good step in the right direction. So hopefully that continues tonight against the Pistons. So I will say, yeah, Bulls will win tonight and continue the momentum. If Billy Donovan needs to, to recapture this team's attention, you just run the clip of that Grayson Allen forearm to DeMar's back and you, and you get him fired up you know, an hour before tip-off and, and see where it takes you. I thought it was really encouraging the other night to see them find that edge late in the game and make the plays that, that are required to win a game like that. They buckled down on defense, DeMar did DeMar things, and you found a way to win a game against a good team when your back was against the wall. Is it a turning point? I don't think so. Uh, I think this Bears, uh, I'm sorry, this Bulls team has shown itself that it's incredibly inconsistent. They, they obviously had the, the the three road wins recently, and then they come back home and and, and get blown out by the Rockets. And so the, the the roller coaster has been too jarring at times for this team to believe that they've suddenly found something that will help them turn a corner. That said, that win was impressive, and it's the one thing that you want to build on when you're a team that has had trouble closing out close games and obviously to have a rally and to put that in your back pocket is a big deal and a pick six for 26 what college football bowl game are you most looking forward to watching anyone player piquing your curiosity and who will win saturday's semifinal well i love the college football playoff when it gets here i'm not crazy about it being on new year's eve i'm not crazy about some of the other 
things about how we got to this point, and I'm certainly not crazy about it going to 12 teams. But forget about what I'm not crazy about. What I love about tomorrow is that I think they got the right four teams, and I believe that the Georgia-Ohio State game will be interesting because, you know, it's it's a matchup of two college football powerhouses historically, traditionally, and all that good stuff. But the game that I'm looking forward to the most is Michigan-TCU because I think Michigan's going to throttle TCU. And I like seeing Jim Harbaugh have success. I like J.J. McCarthy because of uh, he's a local guy, and I just like the way he plays quarterback. And I like their defensive coordinator because um, I played for his dad at Ball State. So, <laughs> and I knew, I've known him since he was five years old. So I think there are a lot of things that make me a Michigan fan go blue tomorrow. As for watching this game through what I would call the Bears prism, or the Chicago Prism. Yeah. These games tomorrow are very interesting. You've got the quarterback situation with C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young, and you think that, okay, those guys need to play well because you want those quarterbacks to be draftable at the top of the draft. You've got, in Georgia, Jalen Carter, the generational three-technique guy that we'll debate over the next few months and already have started. You've got Will Anderson for Alabama, the edge rusher, who could change everything? You want to watch him to see how he plays. Uh, oh, wait, he doesn't. Well, he, he plays over the weekend, but not necessarily in the semi, right. in the semifinal. But you know the the, the weekend, the bowl, the bowl viewing experience. They did not opt out of these games, and I love Nick Saban's explanation for that. And you've also got from Michigan how they run the ball against TCU, but TCU has a wide receiver catching balls from the most interesting quarterback in college football, Max Duggan. Yes, but Quentin Johnson, six four. Runs a four four forty and is a guy that you could see making an impact as a rookie wide receiver in the NFL. So there's a lot to like about the bowl season and the bowl weekend and everything that's coming. But I think that in the playoffs it'll be, I think it'll be Georgia and Michigan. So I have to root for the uh, Delta in-flight Wi-Fi to work really well because I'll be on my way to Detroit tomorrow afternoon when when the first game is is going on. I am most eager to watch Michigan. Uh, and TCU in the Fiesta Bowl because I think that is a a game in the college football playoff amongst teams that aren't there on an annual basis. We're so used to seeing Alabama and Clemson and and Georgia in the college football playoffs that it's cool to see some new guys crash the party and try to show what they can do. I think it's also going to be really interesting to see how Michigan, who I think is is tops in the nation in in scoring offense and scoring defense, uh, rises to the challenge of being on this stage again and trying trying to find a way into the national championship game. I love you referencing Duggan and Quentin Johnson with TCU. The quarterback is, is a really fun story, and the receiver is a guy that Bears fans should be studying to see if, if the Bears do trade back. Is that a guy that you want to add to your passing game? It'll be fun to watch. The two players I'm most interested in watching are Jalen Carter, as you mentioned, for the obvious reasons, and C.J. Stroud, because the higher C.J. Stroud's stock goes, the better that pick the Bears have at the top of the draft board can be in terms of an asset. And there are questions around the league about who C.J. Stroud is amongst noise in the pocket. Can he handle the clutter, and does he have the presence to respond to that? This is the perfect opportunity to test that against a Georgia defense that is nasty. By the way, Alabama plays Kansas State at 11 in the morning, so there's back to back to back. I think those three games are stacked right one after the other, so that is a good way to spend your Saturday after listening to Inside the Clubhouse 9 to 11 (laughs) every Saturday morning. Dan, I want to ask you this. You've mentioned the C.J. Stroud factor. Do you think that Justin Fields' success breakout type of season with the Bears after questions that existed after his rookie season, do you think that they will be play any role in the evaluation of C.J. Stroud? Just because of the stigma that's been yes. attached to Ohio yes. State quarterbacks forever? Uh, I don't think so. I think they're two completely different players. I think they're, they're, they're guys with different skill sets, different strengths. Um, I don't know that they're they're intertwined very closely, but but again, like I, I do think for Stroud, this is a uh, this is a chance to to answer some critics about who you are as a quarterback and what you bring to the next level, just in terms of that that presence in the pocket and your ability to play when things around you aren't perfect because they're not going to be perfect against this. Well, let me tell you why defense. I kind of disagree with that. All right, I've always been. So I guess I ask a loaded question. <laughs> I, I've always been the guy who didn't really buy into this one quarterback or one receiver, receivers from one school don't ever pan out or quarterbacks from one school don't ever pan out. Right. I, I don't like to compare you know, quarterbacks from a different time or a different career with each other. That said, the one thing about Justin Fields that I think that was, was valid 
he never dealt with a lot of noise in the right. pocket at Ohio State. And in that context, when you are as dominant as Ohio State tends to be against relative competition in the Big Ten, you're not playing Minnesota every week. You're not playing Rutgers. You're not playing Nebraska. You're not playing Northwestern. You're not playing teams that aren't going to mount a pass rush and come at you with an array of blitzes that you have to diagnose, process, and execute. So I wonder if Ohio State's dominance in that context works against quarterbacks once they get to the NFL. It may. It may. And Justin has had to deal with the idea of, hey, it must have been cool there in Columbus to be throwing the ball to, uh, you know, Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, right. and Jig. But, you know, like pretty cool to have those tools. And now in two years with the Bears, it's like, can I get some tools? Can I, can I get someone to help me here? Uh, and so there, there are different questions you have to answer with, with, with different supporting casts and different environments around you. Uh, look, this is going to be a fascinating Saturday of football, and, and those are things to, to keep your eye on in, in obviously, a, 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 a lengthy afternoon where you can watch a lot of football back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. I'm just not a big Ryan Day guy either. I'm just face it. I'm just not a big Ryan Day guy. <laughs> I, I didn't like the speculation when he was being mentioned as a Bears coach last year when that started in some outrageous corners, but um, I just was never a big fan of that talk. Why? I don't know if... <laughs> No, I, I don't know that he going to the NFL made sense because of his stint as an assistant. I think I kind of resented the implication that he would be you know, a, a, a slam dunk head coach, a good hire. I, he's fine where he is. Uh, yeah. I think he benefits from a lot of things that were in place when he took over. That's not totally fair, but I don't have to be. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is my, it's my reaction. And you know the other reason why? Because I do like Michigan. Okay. I am a Harbaugh guy. All right. Well, that's And that I think that it. when I'm a Harbaugh guy and you are a Harbaugh guy, it's hard to see the benefits of Ryan Day doing anything. Except no for maybe shaving. I get it. Your gold blue colors are Sorry. coming out. All right. Tribute to Halbarkish. We need to get to the extra point when we come back. Which Chicago sports franchise might have the brightest 2023? We'll look at it. When we come back, the extra point is next. Dan Weeder in for Molly. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Molly and Haw on 670 The Score. All right. As we sit here on the last weekday of 2022... After another unfulfilling year of Chicago sports futility, what team is the closest to enjoying the next 365 days more than enduring them? What sports team would you want to run in 2023 because of what's ahead? Boy, it's been a long year in Chicago sports. I don't know if this is what we expected a year ago as we kind of embarked on 2022. I think my answer would be totally different than it was a year ago. I look around and... You know, there's a lot of optimism about the Bears because of Justin Fields. I'd want no part of that. I, I think they're, you know, as, as we have talked about on our Take the North podcast and talk, we'll talk here today, they're further away than just one off season. So I don't think this is a year for them. The Sox, mm, I don't know about the Sox. I mean, they have talent, but I just think there's just so many things about the Sox that are bothersome to me. Hawks. If I get a chance to, to draft Connor Bedard, great. But what does that mean and where are they headed and what are they going to do with Kane and Taze, who, by the way, are going to talk with their agent in three weeks, according to Pierre LeBron's report yesterday in ESPN. So then we're down to the Bulls and the Cubs. The Bulls have a big three, but they have an aging big three, and their best players are not getting any younger. I would add to the Cubs. If I were to pick one team, it would be the Cubs – Part of that might be the 12 year old fan in me who is, you know, still, you know, had a great moment in 2022 sitting next to Pat Hughes in the broadcast booth and doing an inning and, <laughs> and realizing that I'm sitting next to a Hall of Famer who's also the nicest guy in the world and I consider a friend. I mean, there's, there's still that part of me that still looks at the Cubs with a little bit of sports romantic, romantic uh, notion. But I also think that when you look at what they did in signing Dansby Swanson, and what they're trying to do in building up the middle with pitching and defense, and they have the infrastructure, certainly in terms of baseball intelligence, I think, and they have a farm system that you can get behind. I would get excited if I were running the Cubs in 2023, and I think they're going to take a step in the right direction and position themselves, hopefully, ideally, for another 
type of run that we all enjoyed, except for on the south side, but we all enjoyed in Chicago from 2015 through 2019. So I've got two different answers here because I think there's two different questions here. The team that is closest to enjoying rather than enduring 2023 is the Chicago Cubs. Because of the moves they've made recently, the addition to Dansby Swanson, Cody Bellinger, you obviously go out and get yourself a catcher, a Gold Glove winning catcher in Tucker Barnhart this week. You add Jamison Tallion to a pitching staff that, that obviously has some potential with Stroman uh, and Keegan Thompson and, and Kyle Hendricks still around. I think they have a chance particularly with the way Major League Baseball is structured now, to have a resurgence, to be playing meaningful baseball in September and in the playoffs in October. So they, they feel like they've got the potential to, to, to hit that springboard back into a situation where you're enjoying it again. Now, the second part of that question is who would you most like to run? Where I work every day, Alice Hall. I'd love to be given a key card to go upstairs, be in that front office where Ryan Poles uh, operates and, and have – the draft capital they have, have the money they have to spend in free agent, have basically a blank canvas with what you've done in 2022 to do whatever you want to surround a promising young quarterback in Justin Fields with whatever your vision is for creating a football team. That would be fun. It wouldn't be easy, but it certainly would be fun because you have very few restrictions this offseason in going about uh, tackling what's going to be a really difficult job. But, man, if you like – dreaming if you like imagining if you like having so, some license to to go out and do what you want that's a really fun job to have here in the coming months the restrictions would be I've, i it's interesting that you put it that way there are no restrictions and few, i understand restrictions. i understand why you would say there are a few restrictions because you have all the cap money all the space and you have the draft capital but i almost feel like that is i want to be fair to Ryan Poles but again i don't know what level of trust he has built up to where you feel like that would be, oh boy, you know, go crazy, young man, because you have all this possibility and you can spend and you can draft. Now, if you had somebody who was more experienced, I might feel better about the direction. And certainly it would be fun to to try to tinker and dabble and all those verbs and spend everyone else's money on players that you think might make an impact. I would have to have a very... I think tight priority list, starting with whatever you determine your yeah. number one priority is in free agency, and then my free agent priority list, however I'm able to fill that, would affect my draft list. Is that the way that you would approach it? Yeah, yeah, and and you have to have a vision, right? Like, you have to have a vision going into this. This can't be willy-nilly and, like, let's just cast nets far and wide in different directions. You better know what you're targeting and, and what your vision for creating this football team is. We'll talk about the Detroit Lions in a little bit on the show about a vision, right, and, and what they've tried to do in building their organization up and whether it works or not long-term, we'll see. But you have to have that. And then to just, again, it's flexibility. It's the ability to to cast your pole into the free agent waters and see what kind of big fish you can bring in. It's, it's the understanding that if you don't get everything done in free agency that you want to, oh, you've got the number two pick and you've got a, you know a, a surplus of draft picks that you can use to maneuver around and try to make things happen in April as well going to be a fascinating, fascinating stretch for Ryan Poles in his second year on the job. And you feel like the question at quarterback has been answered with a resounding yes. Going into this offseason, mm-hmm. I, it depends on what, what, what question at quarterback you're answering. If the question is, is Justin Fields our starter for the next several years, the answer is yes, right? You're going to build around him until he gives you reason to believe otherwise. Uh, I Again, I asked you the question earlier about whether he will still be their starting quarterback in 2027. Five years is an eternity in the NFL. I haven't, I haven't checked that box with a resounding yes yet. Because um, of injury concerns or because of, oh, because of uh, quality they, uh, concerns? Yeah, because playing quarterback at a high level in this league and sustaining success is super difficult, and right now they have the 32nd-ranked passing attack and a quarterback who has thrown for 200 yards in two games this season. I think that's fair concern. I also look at the Blackhawks, and just the hockey fan in me looks at the possibilities that exist there, and I do think that there are ways that you can win quicker in the NHL, but at the same time... uh, They're in the wilderness, though, aren't they? They are very, very bad, (laughs) and they have gotten very, very bad by design. And we talk all the time in, in Chicago because the Bears dominate our discussions, but the tank, uh, you know, tank the North you know, <laughs> in terms of that being the, the objective for the Bears. When you look at the Blackhawks and the orchestrated losing, they have uh, created that design with Kyle Davidson. It's 
it's hard to watch. You know, they were hard to watch last night. I yeah. watched them again. My son is home for the holidays. He loves hockey. We watched the Blackhawks. They lost to the Blues. They can't score. Yeah. And meanwhile, they have Connor Bedard, who's playing for the Team Canada in the Juniors tournament. I know you're like, who's Connor Bedard? Connor Bedard is the generational talent who's going to be the prize at the top of the NHL draft next summer. And he has 13 points in his last two games. Yeah, 13 points in two games. He is the next Connor McDavid. He is the next Othan Matthews. He is the next you know, Kane or Tays for yeah. the Chicago Blackhawks organization if they're lucky enough to draft him. So that's exciting. It would be. But I don't know that I don't know how far they may be the furthest right away than of all the teams from experiencing postseason success. How about just experiencing the postseason? <laughs> that would be fun right. to have that back in our town as well. By the way, to your your uh, point about romanticizing uh, the Cubs baseball and and Pat Hughes this summer, uh, I took my travel baseball team, the nine U team, to Wrigley Field for the uh, a youth baseball day, and in the fourth inning, Zach Zaidman said, "Hey, bring the guys up for the top of the fourth. We were able to take t- 10 of the kids up into the booth, and they were just flies on the wall. And to see the wide eyes uh-huh. of nine-year-old kids looking out <laughs> through the radio booth at, at this Wrigley Field afternoon out there, I mean, it was it was such a cool moment to see that through a nine-year-old's eyes again, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Pat Hughes, also Hall of Fame guy. He's going to the Cooperstown as a broadcaster, but certainly everybody's friend and, and couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And I'm sure those kids were just in awe of Zach. Oh, I mean, yeah, right. Well, they they, they were mad because Zach did not cackle during the half inning that we were up there, and he didn't get that world-class trademark (laughs) trademark laugh out there. World-class cackling. But no, yeah, ZZ, one of the best. He's going to be on this afternoon with Anthony Heron, I believe. They're doing the afternoon show, so you want to stay tuned because you do want to see on the Twitch stream that glorious red hair because (laughs) I'm sure that that dazzled those nine-year-olds. All right, so you know what? There's a football game on Sunday, Bears and Lions, and the Lions have something going on. And they have leaned into their identity, and we will talk about that as well as the Kevin Warren situation when we come back. Dan Weeder is in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, live and local. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. Yeah, because I know, I know the guys in the locker room. That's, that's why. And I know these coaches, and I know these players. And uh, I, know, I know what they're made of, and I just go back to the fact this, this team was assembled for a reason. And uh, so uh, there is nothing that would tell me that the, these guys won't bounce back. So we're going to put in the good work today, and, uh, and they'll be ready to roll. Molly and Hawk, Chicago Sports Radio, 670. The score, good Friday morning, last one of 2022. Dan Weeder is in for Mully. David Haw here until 10 o'clock. That was Dan Campbell, the controversial, energetic, quotable head coach for the Detroit Lions, who, by the way, are in the hunt for an NFC's playoff spot. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I, I question whether or not they will. It would be a great story if they did. Uh, I don't think they're going to lose on Sunday. But, Dan, none of those things matter. What I think the big overall point about the Lions is as you look at them playing the Bears on Sunday is number one how did they do it (laughs) and secondly understanding that as I said on our Take the North podcast I think there are two things that are very obvious about the Bears season in 2022 number one they found their quarterback number two they're the worst team in the division and the Lions have passed them Oh, I mean, no question about it. They have passed them, and, and they've passed them in the last couple months. Uh, they've got a chance to open up a five-game lead on the Bears if they win Sunday afternoon in Ford Field. Like, throw that at Bears fans. Yeah. Like, you're about to finish five games behind the Lions. That, that's remarkable because they started one and six. Right. So you and I made a collective decision on the Take the North podcast, and when I say collective decision, I, I mean I forced you into this. Yeah. Uh, we are retiring the phrase "learn to win." Yeah, okay. it has caused too much uh, contention, angst, in, <laughs> angst, and and, and, angst. and whatever else you want to call it yeah. in the city of Chicago. And we've replaced it with a phrase: developing a winning formula. Okay, okay, we're trying something new here. We're spitballing this. We're we're, we're we're testing this. And the Lions have developed a winning formula within 2022 by. Drawing back on experiences they went through in 2021, drawing back on experiences they went through in the first eight weeks of this season when they did start 1-6 and six and left Miami at the end of October as the worst team in football in terms of their record, and they've found ways to get things done 
in close games and critical moments. And that's what this league is all about. I've written a story that's going to launch at chicagotribune.com today about the, a little bit of the resurgence that the Lions have been on here. They won 6-7 before they went to Carolina and got blown out last weekend. I do think that they will bounce back this weekend. And it is very uh, important to contextualize this out of the gates and saying this doesn't crown the Lions as any sort of, you know, example that you have to follow. This is the blueprint. I mean, they are still in the bottom half of the NFC. They're in danger of finishing under 500 for the 18th time in 22 years. And so it's not like, okay, this is the model. Go find it. But when you're talking about developing a winning formula, Dan Campbell has gotten this team over time, like Matt Eberflus is trying to do at Hallis Hall, to understand the importance of details, to understand what creates belief, which in my opinion is the fuel for developing a winning formula. It's having belief in yourself, having belief in those around you, having belief in the coaching staff to put you in positions to succeed when games are on the line. The Lions have met those moments over the last two months. They've won six of their last eight, and now, as we talked about earlier, have a chance to set up a – I mean, how fun would it be in Week 18 to have the Lions go into Lambeau Field with the winner of that game getting That would the be great. It would be the playoffs beginning a week early. Cool. And that would be the, the tremendous stage – for both teams, really, because yeah. the Packers, it would come down to that because they've put themselves in a position to control their destiny, and the Lions being what they are based on and compared to what they used to be. So a couple of things. Number one, I think it's interesting and instructional, perhaps, that the Lions have done this by reflecting their head coach in terms of personality. It's the oldest cliche in football, but they do that. This is who Dan Campbell is. They're a tough team. And the strength is in their offensive line. Yep. They are building from the football on out. Yep. And a lot of teams. Both sides of the ball. On both sides of the ball. And a lot of teams resist that because of today's NFL. And you can look at examples like, dare I say, the Cincinnati Bengals. They have Joe Burrow, they have Jamar Chase, and they have a dynamic pass catch combination that is that is the model for a lot of teams. You look at the other examples and they exist. But the Lions, number one, are doing this from the ball on out, which I think is instructive to the Bears. Secondly, this thing that we talk about, what did we decide? Developing to <laughs> developing a winning developing formula. A winning formula. Come okay. on, memorize this, David. This is a part of our brand. I want to get the T-shirt out there. <laughs> so part of our brand, developing a winning formula, began last year right. for the Detroit Lions. This did. And the carryover effect is not insignificant. And you can actually do something in one season – that has an impact on the next season, yep. which I think is important for Bears fans to remember or at least to acknowledge. So I had a chance this week to, to, to reach out to some folks in Detroit to kind of get my arms around who they are, where they are, where they're going. One of the things that was a consistent theme was that the Lions won three of their final six games in Dan Campbell's first season and that a lot of people in that organization, front office, coaching staff, locker room, credit that surge as – providing a a steadying confidence that was valuable to them when they got off to the the, the one and six start this season and and they, they lean back on the idea that they grinded through 2021 and at the end of the year tasted success to believe that it could happen again and then they broke through this year and then they kept breaking through and breaking through and breaking through and got on a little run and I think when they won three in a row uh sometime in in November it was the first time in five years that the Lions organization had experienced Three wins in a row, which is crazy. <laughs> and so, listen, like there were people in Detroit that were furious last year when they beat the Packers in the season finale and cost themselves the number one pick. The Jaguars jumped them on the draft board, and it was like, oh, my God, Armageddon, how could you do this? How could you go out and win a game that means nothing and cost yourself draft status? Well, guess what? They picked number two. They got Aiden Hutchinson. They got a guy that they think is going to be a difference-making uh, pass rusher for, for years to come. They packaged – Two other picks they had to trade back up into the first round uh, and take Jamison Williams at number 12, who's who's just coming back from the ACL and is going to add a, a level of explosion in this offense. Smart pick. And now they feel like they've got this nucleus. Look, you, you, we talk about Dan Campbell a lot. Brad Holmes, second year as a GM, came from St. Louis and had a philosophy, as you mentioned, to build from the trenches. You've got two offensive tackles in the center that were first-round picks. They're steadying that offense. They're, they're, they're making that thing go. On the defensive line, you've got young players like Aleem McNeil, that are, are, are coming on that were drafted. They're trying to do that from the wall out. We'll get to this in a second. I'd be curious to hear your point. But now they've got some serious decisions to make at their quarterback position. 30 seconds. That's the point. What do they do with Jared Goff? Because now they're in a position where they can get one of the top three quarterbacks, perhaps, if they wanted to, based on their draft positioning. But 
has Jared Goff put himself in a position that says, okay, I've arrived, and I can lead you where we need to go? They believe, and Brad Holmes is part of this, that Jared Goff can take them back to a Super Bowl like he did in, with the Rams if he's surrounded by the pieces all over the place. Listen, I would use Jared Goff as a bridge if I were them. But you talk to people in that organization, around that organization, and they say that Jared Goff psychologically might not be able to handle being a bridge quarterback with a young rookie at his heels. And so that's a dangerous game to play sometimes, and they're going to have to figure out how to do it. They may opt for the Kirk Cousins model of saying he's good enough. Let's ride this out for as long as we can ride it out and then make a decision on the quarterback at a later date. He's Dan Ritterer from the Chicago Tribune. He's in for Mully today. We will talk to Brad Biggs, another guy from the Tribune, our guy here on the Mully and Haw Show. Next, it's Biggs time. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.